It's Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, virtual reality doesn't stink. And that's kind of a problem. Why virtual smell could take the VR experience to the next level. Plus a paper battery that's activated by adding water. And you could get paid 100k a year to sit on your couch and eat candy. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. For something that its most zealous proponents are constantly touting as so realistic, groundbreaking, and capable of eliciting empathy in all new ways, much of the virtual reality world is still pretty unrealistic. And I don't mean the fantasy or sci-fi elements of different games and experiences. The graphics and gameplay just don't quite feel there yet for a lot of people. I mean, in most VR, no one even has legs. And legs aren't the only things missing. As Jude Stewart explained in Wired on Sunday, another big reason VR just doesn't feel convincing yet is its lack of smell. Now, as a huge fan of anything smell-o-vision, I was immediately intrigued by this argument, but even I've got to admit that most smell-o-vision-like technology is also lacking in realism. Scratch-and-sniff stickers, perfume samples in magazines, simulated scents often come across as the olfactory equivalent of sound being projected through tinny laptop speakers. So that presents a danger for any VR designers who may want to incorporate sense. Stewart says that doing so poorly could risk amplifying the uncanny valley effect. Which, by the way, is essentially why many VR avatars don't have legs. I did a segment on this a while back, but basically legs are tough to get right. Especially when you've got someone in reality with a headset on, and then trying to make their virtual legs match their real ones. It's this whole thing that can frequently cause cognitive dissonance to the point of physical nausea sometimes. But if any VR teams could get virtual smell-o-vision right, make the experience feel authentic, Stewart argues that that could be the extra factor that would push VR over the edge from occasionally impressive, kinda hokey, into authentically real feeling. Our sense of smell is a lot more powerful and important to our everyday experiences than a lot of us typically think about. As Stewart points out, we're evolutionarily programmed to respond to smells. Spoiled food, the smell of smoke or gas, smells contribute to choosing romantic partners, parents can identify their newborn babies by smell alone, and studies have shown you can even literally sense other people's emotional states via smell. All of these smelling superpowers are, in part, because the way we interact with smell is a bit different than how we interact with our other senses. Quoting Stuart in Wired, For sight, sound, taste, and touch, a stimulus travels from the sensory organ to the brain's more evolutionarily recent thalamus, which handles complex processing skills. Smell is different. It's all old brain. Smells bypass the thalamus, traveling straight from the nose to the olfactory bulbs located behind the spot where eyeglasses rest on your face. This tongue-like protrusion of nerves both processes smells in the brain and is closely entangled with older brain regions, specifically the amygdala, which handles emotions, and the hippocampus, which deals with memory. 
When an important memory forms, you usually feel emotions. If you're also smelling something, memory, emotion, and smell will fuse. Hence why smells conjure memories with such startling vividness. The bright, acrid hit of chlorine undercut with stale sweat that situates you unmistakably back in your high school swim team's locker room. The downy mix of rose water, burnt toast, and cigarettes that evokes your grandma's love. End quote. So smell is a hugely pervasive support sense. It's one of those things we don't often notice or don't think about, but when it isn't there, you know. Stewart points to the rise in people with anosmia, or the loss of smell thanks to COVID. Those who lost their smell for many months or longer report higher rates of depression and anxiety. Aaron Wisniewski, CEO and founder of OVR Technology, told Wired, quote, COVID anosmics often say, I'm anxious, I'm depressed, I feel like everything's in black and white, and I feel really disconnected to everyone and everything. He continues, wow, that sounds a lot like what people experience who spend a lot of time online. Unless we engineer our sense of smell into digital worlds that we are increasingly in, we're going to suffer a lot of negative consequences psychologically and socially. End quote. Wisniewski, for one, is putting his money where his mouth is. OVR technology stands for Olfactory Virtual Reality Technology. They're working on incorporating smells into VR, mostly with their Ion product, which is, quote, a snap-in refillable cartridge with nine chemical compounds that can be mixed into hundreds of different scents and released to the user's nose via Bluetooth cues. End quote. And one big lesson OVR technology has learned is that literalism should not be the goal. That's how you can quickly get into uncanny valley territory or just disbelief from users. You know, when you try to get it exactly right and fail, which is likely with engineered smells, people can tell something is off. But if you go for more general, people tend to fill in the gaps. Which is also helpful because even if cartridges can be combined to make hundreds of different scents, there are only so many cartridges that can fit into a VR headset, and humans can distinguish as many as a trillion different smells. So it's more about finding the right molecule or combinations that evoke the right associations. For a forest scene, OVR found that isobornyl acetate gave off a foresty scent, and that was enough. The user's brains filled in the details. But nixing the cartridges altogether, Jas Brooks over the University of Chicago's Human Computer Integration Lab is hacking the trigeminal nerve to create virtual smells. The trigeminal nerve in the face senses touch and temperature, but can work in concert with smells. So for example, Brooks's team created a VR experience in a snowstorm using eucalyptus oil puffed out from the headset to make the user feel cold. And then when the player got to a cabin, they used cayenne pepper to make the user feel warmer. But they've also been experimenting with making fake smells without the use of scents at all, by electrically stimulating the trigeminal nerve. That stimulation basically reminds us of the experience of smelling. In a very small study, participants were reliably able to find the source of a peppermint oil scent in a room both when it actually existed and when it didn't, but their trigeminal nerves had been stimulated. It's pretty wild stuff, and a lot needs to be developed there, but that sounds to me more like a reliable future than bulky scent cartridges attached to headsets. 
And I think I do agree with Stuart that if the goal is an emphasis on the reality part of virtual reality, or even just if some people will be spending substantial time in VR, it's gotta play on all the senses. You can't leave one out, even if maybe some things in VR wouldn't actually smell all that great. You know, all those medieval games would just smell like B.O. and horse manure. But hey, it's realistic. How do you properly dispose of batteries? Alkaline batteries like AA's, AAA's, and 9 volts, those can all go straight in the trash here in New York City, which always feels a bit iffy to me. Rechargeable batteries have to be taken to a safe disposal event or facility because they have such a high risk of catching fire, something that can also happen in your home if you're not careful about how you store them. But even things like car keys and musical greeting cards have batteries in them, and New York City's Department of Sanitation website at least warns that those batteries must be properly removed and disposed of before you can throw out the item itself, again due to risk of fire. Those are just some of the batteries that only a portion of the population, if we're being honest, are even thinking about how to properly dispose of. What about all the other batteries in our old laptops and smartphones? Unfortunately, a lot of companies have trade-in programs to help make sure those devices don't just get plunked in the trash, but what happens after that? E-waste is becoming a huge problem. All these batteries, screens, and the rare materials that go into making them are creating hazardous debris in landfills all over the world. We have got to come up with some solutions to combat the existing e-waste, but also, ideally, figure out a way to power everything without creating so much waste in the first place. And according to Scientific American, some of the most insidious offenders are the tiny batteries in things like those musical greeting cards, as well as in single-use medical diagnostic kits, environmental sensors, and smart labels. All the items we sometimes don't even think about having batteries in them, so we don't take the time to properly dispose of them. In an effort to combat that, researchers at the Swiss Federal Laboratories for Materials, Science, and Technology have created a tiny battery made out of paper and other sustainable materials. It's activated by splashing a bit of water on it and would be able to power those small objects so many of us take for granted. Quoting Scientific American, the new paper battery has the same components as standard batteries, but packages them differently. Like a typical chemical battery, it has a positively charged side called a cathode, a negatively charged side called an anode, and a conductive material called an electrolyte between the two. A traditional battery's components are encased in plastic and metal. In the new battery, the anode and cathode are inks printed onto the front and back of a piece of paper. That paper is infused with salt, which dissolves when the water is dampened with water. The resulting salt water solution acts as the electrolyte. When the paper is dry, the battery is shelf-stable. Add just a couple of drops of water, however, and the ingrained salt dissolves, allowing electrons to flow. After the paper is moistened, it takes about 20 seconds for the battery to activate. At that point, it produces a stable 1.2 volts of electricity until the paper dries out. For comparison, a AA battery provides 1.5 volts. When the researchers re-wet the paper, the battery produced 0.5 volt for more than an hour. 
end quote. In their study, the team was able to power a low-powered alarm clock with the disposable paper batteries, but that's probably about the maximum of the battery's potential. The typical application for these paper batteries would most likely be smaller items like diagnostic tests, environmental sensors, and maybe some smaller, low-powered products in the Internet of Things. The team is already in talks with a few potential industry partners, so they cite a possible two to five year timeline before the batteries hit the market, if all goes well. And only using sustainable materials was a prerequisite for their design, so even if and when they scale the product, its environmental footprint should be kept fairly low. Now, if they're able to implement these paper batteries in most devices that could use them, which is, of course, a very long ways off to redesign everything to be compatible with these batteries, it would certainly make a huge dent in the e-waste problem. So next stop, sustainable batteries for high-power devices. That, however, seems to be a much more impossible challenge. Are you looking for a new job? How does a $100,000 salary sound? That's Canadian dollars, so it would be a bit less if you're working from the company's U.S. office, about $78,000 a year. But the job? Being the head taste tester for a candy company. Candy Funhouse, Canada's largest online candy retailer, has offices in both Toronto and New Jersey, but you could also choose to work remotely, which means there is a world in which you get paid $100,000 a year to eat candy on your couch. Candy Funhouse sells a lot of hard-to-find sweets from around the globe, like cheesecake-flavored Kit Kats, Skittles gelatin mixes, and Kool-Aid popping candy. Their extensive collection and social media acumen have garnered them over 350,000 followers on Instagram and over 2.8 million on TikTok. They are also currently hiring social media personalities, and no doubt this chief candy officer would get their time in the spotlight as well. The job description for the candy tester or chief candy officer on LinkedIn says anyone aged five or older is welcome to apply, but also that job requirements would include running board meetings, so it's tough to get a sense of just how serious this position is. CEO Jamal Hijazi told CNBC that, yes, having a five-year-old run a board meeting would be a little chaotic, but also an opportunity for creativity, continuing to say, quote, We think a child's unbiased opinion and creative imagination would be a huge asset for Candy Funhouse. They would take the lead on ideas, campaigns, and inspiration for new projects, end quote. And of the 6,500 people who have applied on LinkedIn thus far, a lot of them have been kids or their parents applying on their behalf. If someone under 18 is chosen for the gig, the regular 40-hour work week will be amended to fit their schedule and presumably all legal requirements for minors in the workplace. Other responsibilities from the job description include leading the Funhouse Candy strategy, deciding which new products to carry, and taste testing 3,500 plus products on a monthly basis. Now, a lot of outlets took this to mean that the chief candy officer would literally have to test 3,500 different candies every month, but the company clarified to CNN that that number is just reflective of their full product lineup. The CCO would not be tasting that many candies every month. Hijazi said, quote, that would be 117 a day. That's too many, end quote. Though the position does come with an extensive dental plan to offset all that sugar. 
The main requirements, apart from leadership skills and an enthusiasm for candy, are being fluent in English and not having any food allergies. So, hey, if you're looking for something different, this could be your golden ticket to the best job of your life. Now, due to the huge influx of applications, Candy Funhouse says it might take them a little longer than usual to fill the open position, but they will likely prioritize getting it done soon as they are currently ramping up for their biggest sales period of the year. Halloween. They said they have 40% of their stock in so far, but they and other retailers may struggle to get to 100% this year. That's because Hershey announced last week that it will fall short of meeting demand for Halloween and Christmas this year due to supply chain disruptions and the scarcity of raw ingredients. CEO Michelle Buck said sales overall will still top last year, seemingly in part due to the company's shifted focus on meeting non-holiday demand as well as price hikes on products to boost growth. Even though they admit some customer pushback to the price increases, the company is still seeing resilient demand for popular products, and even where less items are being sold, the price hikes are more than making up for any loss. But that's just a heads up that you may have trouble finding some of your Halloween favorites this year, or end up paying even more for those big trick-or-treater variety packs. Now, I wonder if shrinkflation will hit trick-or-treaters this year. Someone should try to analyze the weight of their kids' can candy bag at the end of the night versus the weight of it last year. See if all those fun size bars got even smaller. Alright, well that is it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. 